You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Today, Peter begins the last section of his book. We have been walking for several weeks through the entire book of 1 Peter. So what he's going to do during this last section, he's going to go back as if you would, writing a letter to a friend, a lot of times you would go back and recount some of the important things to make sure people understood what you really wanted them to take away. And that is exactly what Peter is going to do in this last section of his book. He's going to revisit some important things he wants to make sure we understand. So today, once again, Peter is going to talk about suffering. This week, I came across an article, an old article, a 20-year-old article uh, in Christianity Today by a guy named Paul Brand. It was titled this. This is why it caught my attention. It said, And God Created Pain. Dr. Brad uh, said that he was a world-renowned surgeon that pioneered a developing tendon transfer in hands, where they could take tendons and put, plant them into people's hands that they could then use them of those that have suffered from leprosy. In fact, he was the first doctor that noticed that leprosy was not the cause of the damage to the hands. The leprosy affected the sensation of pain, and therefore people were constantly injuring themselves with the loss of this sensation of pain. He writes that his professional life <coughs> revolved all around pain. In fact, he lived in three different cultures where he noticed how they responded and how they accepted the idea of pain. First, he spent time in London during what was called the Blitz. If you're not familiar with this, I was not, but thank you, Wikipedia, that over 267 days, London was under attack 71 times during Germany bombing them called the Blitz. It said of these 271 days, then on September the 7th, 1940, for one year into the war, London was bombed by Germany for 57 consecutive nights. But Germany was unable to disrupt their production of their war industries continued to the fact that Hitler then turned his attention to the east. And this is what he wrote. I've never lived among people so buoyant. Now I read that 60% of Londoners who lived through the Blitz remember it as the happiest times of their life. And he watched that happen. Second, Brand spent many years in India working with leprosy uh, victims and people of extreme poverty and suffering. In fact, living there in India, he, he focused on this idea of pain. And these people of India, he saw <coughs> them handle pain with dignity and with calm acceptance. Now, this is where he made the connection between the leprosy and the loss of sensation of pain. These people lived with pain. They knew what pain was. But he watched them suffer with dignity and calm acceptance. 
Well, then later in life, he spent his life in the United States. And Brandt reported seeing a nation who, whose war for independence was fought in part to guarantee a right of the pursuit of happiness. And he says it was here that he encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all cost. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any he had previously seen, but they seemed far less equipped to handle the suffering and far more traumatized by it. In fact, pain relief in the United States 20 years ago was a $63 billion industry. And the truth is, we avoid pain. Head was hurting last night. Man, I'm scouring the house looking for anything to take away the pain. But listen to what Dr. Brandt quoted by saying. Just as a society that conquers pain and suffering seems less able to cope with the suffering that remains, so a society that pursues pleasure runs the risk of raising expectations even higher so that true contentment always lies tantalizingly out of reach. So here's what I know about me, and here's probably what is uh, true about you, is we avoid pain and suffering at all costs. No one goes looking. No one enjoys suffering. But four times now, Peter is addressing the idea of pain and suffering. So church, here's what I'm realizing. We prefer to talk about things like peace and security, and we're glad to believe in what we hear about those. But it is of utmost importance that we think rightly about Christianity, and that includes suffering. God's number one concern is not your comfort, and it is not your ease. And that is not his number one concern for me. If that's God's number one concern to make me comfortable and easy, then he has absolutely failed at his job. Because we live in a fallen world, and every time we look around, there is pain and agony and discomfort and suffering. And if that is his number one cause is to keep me comfortable and easy, he has failed. But he is much more concerned about your holiness And you becoming more like his son. And there are things that can only be learned through suffering. So here's our bottom line today. There is great blessing in suffering. In fact, I think the greatest things in this life and the greatest things in life to come are worth suffering for. So here's what Peter's going to do. He's going to give us two ways to respond to suffering. And then he's going to give us six reasons why we should do that. Look back at verse 12. Beloved, and stop right there. I love this about Peter. Peter is this rough, tumble fisherman. I imagine he's about six foot two, big hands, calloused all over, just sunburnt to a crisp, his skin's leathery. And he is writing, and he says, Beloved. And that means he is writing with genuine love for these people. He is not writing to them as a stern teacher or a lecturer saying, you need to get this right. He is writing to them with a pastoral heart of love. And he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. 
So you know what? The first way he says to, to respond to pain and suffering, he says, don't be surprised. Now, that's an unusual reaction for us. It doesn't come naturally to think hard times and suffering because we want to avoid them at all costs. And if we can't avoid them, we want to deal with them as quickly as possible and get back to life as normal. But listen to what Karen Job said, so insightful. The idea that normal life should always be harmonious and free of suffering is the remains of a lingering echo in the life of Eden as God created it before the fall. And it is also a longing for a time where there will be no more tears and suffering and pain and death. And see, we look back and we desire that time before the fall where everything was perfect. There was harmonious and everything worked. And we look forward to the time that there will be no more pain, no more struggles, no more tears. And we're caught in between these two realities. And we long for the peace of Eden. And we look for and long for the peace of eternity. But here's the truth. Evil and sin seek to target the perfect human being. They've always been out to get him. Jesus Christ is the one that they are after. And if you follow him, guess what Peter says? You will suffer. You really want to know and you really want to be attacked? Step into church leadership. I mean, we were meeting Monday night as elders and we're praying and we're going to soon be uh, having some men that we're going to put forward uh, as deacons. And one of the things that they will be told is get ready. As you step in and you care and you lead God's people, you will be attacked because sin and evil are after your leader. So Peter's first command is if you're a follower of Christ is do not be surprised when pain and suffering and death comes knocking. And why would he do this? I believe it's because when you are on guard and you are ready, you are better able and you are better prepared to handle the suffering. I have taught all of my children really well the joy of waiting around the corner to scare their mother. And man, they have gotten, they love it. It's great. But she's gotten really good at, at making sure she doesn't ever step into a room without kind of checking around the way. She, she's prepared now, and, it, and it's getting much harder because she's not surprised anymore because she is staying more alert. But we're telling ourselves, listen, Peter says, don't be surprised. Stay alert. Notice that there are things that are going to be happening, and you're better prepared to handle them when you are always staying on guard. Now look at the second command, verse 13. So he says, don't be surprised, stay alert, be on guard, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. So the first thing he tells us is don't be surprised. I can get behind that one, okay? Stay ready. But the second one, he says, you should rejoice. I thought, there's no way that's what Peter means. I looked at every translation. I went to the Greek. I went and looked everywhere else. And nope, that's exactly what it means. Every translation uses the same word, and it means to be glad, to receive it with joy, and to celebrate. Now, that seems strange to me, that when suffering comes into my life, I am to rejoice. I'm to be glad. I am to receive it with joy. I'm even to celebrate it. But what does he mean when he says rejoice. 
Now, what I don't think he means, I don't think he means you go and, and you enjoy it and, and you think it's fun. But I think what Peter means is believing to rise above the suffering and see the beauty that is actually there. Because there are certain things we can only learn through suffering. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says, they who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. And if you've ever been through a difficult time, if you've ever struggled, if you've ever experienced pain, you realize that's true. Man, there is great. When you dive deep into that sea of affliction, you come up with some things that you never even knew were possible. You might have received a comfort that you never knew this, that existed in this world. You might have come away with a knowledge that you never knew you had. So here's what Peter does. Peter is going to give us, he's given us two ways to respond. Don't be surprised and rejoice. Meaning look above it, rise above the suffering to see the beauty that's there. And he's going to give us six pearls. When you dive deep into that sea of affliction, Peter says there are six pearls that will come up to the top. Here's the first one. Don't. It's not a surprise, but it's a plan. Look at verse 12. Beloved, again, he says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You see, Peter's writing to people that are beginning to experience the real trials of following Jesus Christ. If you went all the way back to chapter 1, verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Meaning people were being abandoned by their families for their newfound faith. People were being treated as social outcasts because they're following this man Jesus. The things for these people were not getting easier because they were following Jesus Christ. You look back to the history books. You remember the crazy King Nero we've talked of, the one that burned his own city to the ground to blame the Christians. It's about to really get bad for them. There are accounts where he douses them with tar and lights them as human torches. And it's interesting that Peter uses the word fiery trials. And I don't know if those two connect, but what he's saying is that Christians have and others will experience various and fiery trials. They will be painful. They're not going to be fun. And they will shake a person's faith. You know, we may never fear for your life professing Christ, but there are all kinds of ways to suffer. But we can rejoice because the suffering around us, he says, first of all, it's not strange it isn't absurd. He says it isn't meaningless. It is purposeful. Meaning suffering is not outside of God's will. It is His will. Even when Satan is the one, the immediate cause of the suffering, guess what? God is sovereign over all things, including Satan and the suffering. But notice what the purpose of these fiery trials is for. It's for the testing and the proving of your faith. Meaning God hates sin so much, but he loves his children so much that he will spare no pain to rid you of what he hates. So he says, you know what? You can rejoice in your suffering. You can look beyond it. You can rise above it because your suffering is not surprising. It is planned by our lovingly heavenly father. 
And it's a testing and a purifying fire, and it drives and it strengthens real faith. So, so suffering is not a surprise. It is a plan by our loving Father. Pearl number two. It's this evidence of a union with Christ. Look at verse 13, the first part of it. But rejoice, don't be surprised, rejoice insofar as you share in this Christ's sufferings. Rejoice to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Because there, there's a bond that people experience when you suffer with someone. Read any account of, of survivors, whether it's a shipwreck or whether it's through a, a concentration camp or POWs. You read any account of people surviving, and there is a bond that happens with them that nothing can break. In fact, some of the strongest marriages I know are not the ones that never experienced any kind of trial or struggle. It's those that seem to have walked through almost the valley of the shadow of death. Those are the ones that have been bonded and welded together because they have suffered together. So when you suffer for your faith, what Peter tells us is that when you suffer for your faith, there is a bond that you then share with Jesus Christ. Listen to Joseph's son, a, Roman, a Romanian pastor. He says, the union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means I am not a lone ranger here. I'm an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania, it is not my suffering. I only had the honor of sharing his. So we rejoice. We rise above. We look above the suffering. We dive deep into that sea of affliction because we are sharing in the suffering our beloved Jesus Christ. And there is a bond that happens when you suffer for him Man, you will feel your faith getting stronger because you realize there's a bond that happens. Pearl number three. It's a means of attaining an even greater glory and joy. Look at the second part of 13. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Peter is saying that there is suffering and then there's glory. In order for Jesus to glorify you, do you know what he had to do? He had to suffer first. There is always suffering before glory. Everywhere in Scripture, before there's ever glory, guess what? There's always suffering. I've been reading through the books of Moses. Abraham has promised land. He has promised sons. He's promised more than the numbers of the stars. But you know what he says before what God tells him before all that? He says, but first, you'll be sent into exile and you will suffer. There is always suffering before blessing. And why is that? It's because I think that when you do that, when you have suffered first, it makes the, the end result, it, it makes the glory all the sweeter. You know, it's like an itch you can't reach, at least maybe in public, and, and you finally can, and there's just relief that happens because of the struggle that came first. Listen to what a Chinese philosopher named Lin says. To be dry and thirsty in a hot and dusty land. Oh, but to feel great drops of rain on my bare skin. Ah, oh, this. Is this not happiness? There is always suffering before glory. 
And our hope is in a blessing that will one day be greater than anything this world can even fathom. And Peter is saying, you know what he's saying? Practice rejoicing now. And you will be all the more ready for an unimaginable rejoicing that will come later. So you dive deep into that sea of affliction and that pearl that rises to the top is that you can rejoice because you believe there is a greater joy coming. And when you suffer and your mind and your eyes are set on that, you'll realize that you are so much more ready for the glory to come. The fourth pearl, Peter says, in verse 14, is the Spirit of God resting on you. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So when a Christian suffers for the name of Jesus Christ, it should be considered a blessing. It's considered a blessing because in those moments, it says the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our daughter Opie uh, has got this blanket and any child that kind of comes from hard places, there's all kinds of sensory issues that they can struggle with. She's got this blanket that she absolutely loves because it's this blanket that's filled with these tiny little beads and there's this weight that it sits. It's very heavy, but she loves the feeling of that when she lies down because it covers her. It's security. And what he is saying is that when you suffer, there is a covering that you will experience. Pastors John Piper says it this way, In great suffering on earth, there is great support from heaven. So when suffering happens, when pain, you know, comes knocking, when you begin to feel lost like you've never thought was even possible, and you may think there is no way I can bear this. But if you are in Christ, if you belong to Him, you will be able to. Because he will come and he says he will rest upon you. Now what exactly is the, the spirit of glory when it comes resting upon you? I don't know. But I do know that you will find it when you need it. The promise from God is that the spirit will reveal enough glory and enough of God to satisfy our souls and to carry us through. You will know when you know. And if you've ever walked through a hard time, if you've ever had to bury a child, if you've ever had to watch someone suffer, if you've ever been afflicted by something, if you've ever proclaimed the glory of Jesus Christ and you were shunned for it, man, you know what that covering feels like. So you dive deep into that sea of affliction. The pearl you come up with is that you can rejoice in suffering because you have an unbreakable promise that you will be covered with God's loving spirit. The fifth pearl, it glorifies God. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And it's interesting, you only see the word Christian three times in the entire Bible. First two times it's used in Acts. And it's used as those that are non-believers. It's kind of a derogatory term. It's, you know, those Christians over there. But Peter uses it in a positive way. And he says, you can suffer in two ways. You can suffer for doing evil. In fact, in verse 15, look at what it says. But let no one 
None of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. You do evil acts, and guess what? You will suffer for them. You murder, you steal, you stick your nose where it doesn't belong. You will suffer, and you should be ashamed of that. But then there's another way to suffer. You suffer for following Christ. You suffer, as Peter says, a Christian. And he says, don't be ashamed of that at all. And know that that brings great glory to your Lord. I was telling you earlier about Dr. Brand and his issues and him watching pain and, and him coming and developing this tendon transfer to uh, leprosy. And I, I began wondering, why did, how does he have such a love for people in that way? And I realized it was because of his parents. So I began searching. I, I found another article from this Dr. Brand about his mother. Her name was Evelyn. Dr. Brand, he had this heart for people, and it, especially those with leprosy, because he watched his mom and his dad love people all over the world as missionaries. In fact, Dr. Brand, he said he was talking to his aunt one day about his mother. His, his aunt showed him pictures of her and how she used to dress in such elaborate ways. And the silks and the laces and he said the long plumed hats. In fact, his mother studied in London at the Conservatory of Art where many students wanted to draw her and to paint her because she was so beautiful. Dr. Brand loved people in India because his mother loved them tells a story about his mother at the age of 67, living in the hills of India. She fell and broke her hip. She laid on the floor all night long in pain until a worker found her. Some men came together, fashioned a wooden cot, and carried her down into the plains where she had a 100-mile jeep ride with a broken hip. As she recovered, her son, Dr. Brand, tried to convince her, Mom, just go back to Leonard, go back to the States and retire in comfort. You have given enough. But Miss Evelyn refused. And listen to what he said about his mother. For mother, pain was a frequent companion, as was sacrifice. I saw it kindly and in conditions and combined with crippling falls in her battles with typhoid, dysentery, and malaria had made her thin, hunched-over woman. Years of exposure to wind and sun toughened her facial skin into leather and furled it with wrinkles as deep and as extensive as any I have seen. Evelyn Harris, of the fancy clothes and the classic profile, was a dim memory of the past. Mother knew that all was well with anyone. She knew it better than anyone. And so for the past 20 years, she had refused to even keep a mirror in her house. And yet, with all the objectiveness a son can muster, I can truly say that Evelyn Harris Brand was a beautiful woman to the end. When Evelyn came walking back into that village on those crutches, those villages saw her. And they started running towards Miss Evelyn. They took those crutches away and they carried her to a place in the, in the town. On, and they set her on this low stoned wall. Everyone circled around her and she continued to tell them about God's love for them. 
See, his mother, she didn't need a mirror because she was a mirror of God's beauty to those around her. So you dive deep into the sea of affliction. The pearl that you come up with is that when you suffer, it brings God glory. And the last one, the last pearl that Peter mentions is God is faithful to care for your souls. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, we seem to assume that God knows what he's doing when we're happy and well. But trouble and difficult times raise really hard questions about our relationship with God. It's harder. It's absolutely harder to entrust our souls to God when we are suffering. But here's the truth. God is greater than all the persecution. He is greater than all the pain. He is greater than all of the sorrow. He is greater than all of the struggles. And we can only truly commit our lives to the one that gave us life. And God is not only your creator. It says that he is your faithful creator. And God has never broken one single promise, and He never will. He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you, and He won't. He has promised to cover you when suffering comes, and He will. And God can only do good to those that belong to Him because of what He did to Christ. And if you are in Christ, God can only do good to you. And it will not always feel good. But God can only do good to you if you are in Christ. And so what happens? You dive deep into that sea of affliction. The pearl that you come up with is you can rejoice in suffering because God will always be faithful to care for your soul. You know what we do? Don't be surprised. Stay on guard. Prepare to suffer. No, it's going to happen. Then you rejoice. You rise above it and you pray like you have never prayed before. And you seek Him and you say, God, as I'm diving deep in this, that, that sea of affliction, I need your help. Notice it's not a surprise, it's, but a plan. It's evidence of a union with Christ. It means attaining a greater glory. The Spirit of God resting upon you like that heavy blanket. And your suffering glorifies God. And in those moments of suffering, you will realize that God is faithfully caring for your soul. So there are many ways. In fact, Peter calls it various trials that you will suffer. You know what? It can be different for every one of us in this room. But there is one thing that we all have in common. There is coming a day of reckoning. There is coming a day when we will all have our lives played before us. And you will either think about how you have spent your life. And there's only two responses that I see in Scripture. You will either tremble at a wasted and lost life forever. Or you will rejoice in seeing your King, Jesus Christ. So the invitation this morning is to entrust your soul to the faithful creator. Ask God to reveal himself to you this morning and ask him to save your soul. Ask him if all of this is true. But if you have entrusted your soul to the faithful creator, know it's not easy to rejoice in suffering when that happens. But we need to stay alert. We need to pray for faith to stand strong in the face of suffering. But church, always know, 
you and I'll never be able to suffer perfectly. There will be times that you're not going to be ready and it is going to totally blindside you. There are going to be times that you are not going to rejoice. You and I will fail at times to do those things. You and I will never be able to suffer perfectly. But we look to the one that did on our behalf. And as believers, that is our only hope. You'll never be able to suffer perfectly. But look to the one that did. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for a great time of worship, of recalibrating our minds and our thoughts before you. Father, we thank you for the truth that there is great blessing in suffering. Father, you tell us to not be surprised, to be ready, to rejoice, but we admit we even need your help with that. So, Father, in the times that we suffer well, may you be glorified. In the times where we don't, would you strengthen us with only the strength that can come from you? And so, Father, as we dive deep into the sea of affliction, help us to bring up those rare pearls. And it's in your Son's name, and by the power of your Spirit that lives in us, we pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.